Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Person Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is Part show in the first part of the show we have a esteemed apologist, author, podcaster, extraordinaire, and good friend William Hemsworth. And in the second half, we're going to have Terry Delp with the kickoff of his program, which is I'm really excited about that too. It's going to be called Taking It to the Streets. Uh, we tried to do this first podcast before, and William, you and I showed up. But the microphones didn't. How are you feeling this morning? You know, it's a beautiful sunny day in Arizona. I'm all good, but it's spring in Arizona. There's allergies in the air, but other than that, I am totally fine. I'm honored to be with you, and thanks for having me on the show. It's a, it's a. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, Arizona, the the state also known for election days that take two weeks. <laughs> That's the other thing that your state is known for. I guess it's better than the hanging chad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about the early church fathers now. So let, let me start with the argument uh, that, hey, I, I got a Bible here on my nightstand. Uh, isn't a Bible all I need? Uh, let's let's start with that with that uh, point. You you found that very much not to be the case in your spiritual journey, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, as much as I, I love I love the Bible, I read the scriptures every day. Everyone should read the scriptures every day. Um, that's, that should definitely be something we do. Um, when the church first started, the churches didn't have all the books of the Bible. Now, they were written. Well, some of them were at that point. But in the eras that we're discussing today, like the early apostolic period, you know, early, late first century, second century, and the third, fourth centuries – not every church had every book of the Bible. I mean, it wasn't put together as a list. I mean, you had the you had some lists here and there. Like Marcion, for example, he was one of the first people to try to put a list together, but he butchered it. All right, he only had parts of the Gospel of Luke that he liked. He eliminated the whole Old Testament and he had some of the letters of Saint Paul. Well, that's an issue because that's definitely not all of inspired scripture there. So the church is like, okay, now we we have to – let's get – there's all, all these other books floating around. You know, there's the Gospel of Autonomous, the Apocalypse of Peter, the Acts of Paul and Thecla and all this other stuff. And so mm-hmm. the church had to get together and say, hey, these are – and so we have that list at the Council of Rome. 
Um, and that's the Bible we have today, the 73 books of the Catholic Bible. And so as, as awesome as the Bible is, and again, everyone should read it. Don't misunderstand me. The completed scriptures as we have them now, all in one volume, did not exist in the first 400 years of the church. So that's a very important point that sometimes gets overlooked. Right. This, the second part that's overlooked, I think, is when you look at the way that you read the Bible the, and the four senses of what our church calls the four senses of Scripture. Uh, sometimes you can read the words and not really catch the meanings because of the fact that it's missing context. It's missing the historical context, the cultural context, the linguistic context, uh, the typology that may be uh, uh, expressed in a certain passage. Uh, we, we have to look at allegory. We have to look at all of these things. And that's not a job that you can really do it yourself, is it? Uh, not at first. You can probably get there at some point, but it's going to take a lot of um, training. But thankfully, we have 2,000 years of the church. We have some of the greatest minds um, that have existed up to this point, like St. Thomas Aquinas, for example, uh, St. Augustine, um, St. John Chrysostom, all these great guys who it was life's work was to explain these things. Oh, let's not yeah. forget St. Jerome, too, probably the greatest scripture scholar mm -hmm. in the history of the church but all of these things oh my goodness john there's just so much there two thousand years of christian tradition my goodness there's so much to delve into when you especially we talk about the four senses of scripture origin was big on that as well mm -hmm. um but yeah like for example and there's this old joke i'm sure you've heard it you know you could open up the bible and and you could point to a scripture that and Judas hung himself, and maybe flip a few pages later, go and do likewise. Well, the Bible's not saying to go hang yourself. You have to read it in its proper context, right? Right. And that's right. what a lot of yep. these church fathers uh, teach us to do. They're they're giving us commentary. A lot of them wrote magnificent commentaries on the scriptures. Like I'm reading through Saint Augustine's commentary on the Psalms, and oh my goodness. I mean, if you want to if you want to take a deep dive into the Psalms, that is the book to do it in. Because not only does Saint Augustine cover the Psalms in those, but he brings the Gospels into it and relates it into the Gospels, and it's just, it's transformative, really. Well, I'm about to uh, encounter, and I've been putting it off out of pure fear, to be honest with you. Uh, but I'm about to I, I've got it sitting on my bookshelf, staring at me daring me, and that is the Summa, the Summa Theologica by Thomas Aquinas. Oh, One day I'm going to get the courage to jump into it, uh, but these guys were giants. They, and they, they really were. These guys were giants. They were, they, were, they were towering figures, and here we are 2,000 years later trying to reinvent the wheel, and these guys, first of all, uh, they came out of Judaism. They came out of the Old Covenant. That's where the apostles came out of. So a lot of things that the apostles read and understood, they understood in the context of Judaism. So they would have understood as a first century Jew. And, of course, they passed these things on to their successors, and they passed those things on to their successors. And here we are, X number of generations later, trying to reinvent what they already knew and explained so they really are the foundation 
so to speak. So, so let me ask you this. When we get into the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about here, uh, talk about the early part. When we talk about our early church fathers, what time period roughly would the early part cover? But real quick before I get to that question, I want to just mention something about the Summa that maybe some people don't understand. That's like Thomas Aquinas's uh, Magnus Opus. It's his introduction to theology. <laughs> and I laugh because it is not an introduction. Uh, yeah. But the crazy thing is he never finished it. And a lot of people don't realize that. So what we have is actually his unfinished work, but it's, it's, it is fascinating uh, when you get down into it. Just, my advice, do it in small chunks. Don't try to read, you know, 50 pages a day. Just take one page at a time, think it over. It's going to go a lot easier. Yeah, um, he, was, he was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Definitely dwarfs anything I could put out for sure. Um, but as far as the early church fathers, that's going to be the period after the apostles. And there is a period right after the apostles, what's called the apostolic fathers. Uh, so that would be like uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Polycarp. Those are two we're actually going to talk about today. Um, and then the last of the church fathers ends with St. John Damascene in 749. Mm-hmm. So we have like almost an 800-year window. And the reason that um, 749 period is significant, because that was like the, it corresponds with the end of the seventh ecumenical council that the church had, where the, you know, the church flushed out all kinds of doctrines during that period. Um, so that, that's that era we're talking about. It's a, it's a big, it's, a, it's quite an extensive list when you get into the names in there. But so much meat, so much meat on the bone in, in, in all of those. And if you haven't read the Church Fathers, I mean, I encourage you to do it. It's going to add a no whole other element to your faith. It's going to help you defend the faith. It's going to help you learn the faith. And really, it's going to help you understand what the Church has taught this whole time. Yeah. Well, I have a three-volume set that's also on my bookshelf, The Faith of Our Fathers, Uh is that I have to get into too. Uh, you know, William. Full disclosure: I'm going to have to live to 847 years old to finish all the books that I have uh, waiting yeah, for me, me to be read. But, <laughs> but I'm going to give it my best shot. So, let's get into this because this show you're going to go into the five go-to church fathers, the five, you know, your your top five, so to speak. We don't have to go in 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 order, but you're going to give us give us five that we really need to lean on and listen to and and are the very important ones let's go right into the first of the five who would that be all right so and and again for those listening these are my five and there are many others i could have added to this list but my first one i have to go with my man saint polycarp he doesn't get enough love he doesn't get enough love john um when i was first um this, you know, thinking I came into the church by trying to prove that the church fathers weren't Catholic. Let me start there. Okay, mm-hmm. that's like the bare bones of it. And so when I was in seminary, um, I was taking a church history class, and my professor said that St. Polycarp was a good Baptist. So I was like, all right, cool. Let me read this St. Polycarp guy. I thought his name was pretty cool. Okay, that's one of the reasons I wanted to read him. Um, but St. Polycarp was Bishop of Smyrna in the 2nd century. 
And he was actually taught by St. John, the disciple of Jesus. And that's very significant. The, okay, the, very, so have, same, um, the very same John who was at the foot of the cross, the very same exactly. John who wrote the uh, gospel, three epistles, and the and book Revelation. of Revelation. Just, just exactly. for disclosure for anybody that's listening, this is the John who we're talking about. This is who ta- who was the the teacher of Polycarp. Go ahead. Exactly. So I imagine being the student of an apostle. I mean, just how awesome would that be right off the bat? But uh, he was Bishop of Smyrna, and his story sticks with me. This is why when I got confirmed, he was my patron. He's my patron saint now. Because he lived to be, you know, he, he, he was martyred when he was 86 years old. But he, his, he, was, um, he knew he was wanted by the Roman Empire. You know, because Christianity was illegal at the time. And we'll get into that more when we talk about St. Justin Martyr. But the, the thing that I admire about St. Polycarp is that he knows the Roman soldiers are after him. They knock on his door. He invites them in like they're old friends. Like he knows what they're there to do. He knows they're taking him away to get killed. But he invites them in with open arms like they're old friends. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll come with you. I just ask that I could pr- I pray for one hour. And they're like, okay, he's an old man. We know where he is now. He's not going to do anything. They let him pray for an hour. But before he goes and prays for an hour, Polycarp tells those that are with him, to give the soldiers all the food and drink that they need because they had a long journey. Think about that, John. <laughs> okay. Mm. We're not even getting into like points of theology or apologetics. This is just Christian charity. Um, you have all these soldiers coming to kill you. They're taken away to take you to Rome so you could die. And you have this bishop saying, give these soldiers, these, these guys are tired. Give them food, give them drink, give them whatever they need while I go pray for an hour. Think about that. It seems, I mean, it's, it's really awe-inspiring when you think about it, the amount of charity that St. Polycarp has for these and guys. And what a reflection of the same scenario when Jesus was arrested. The, yes. It was the same, same type of scenario. Jesus knew what was coming. Um, and, you know... <laughs> You know, I, I read uh, on Facebook the other day, somebody said, what would you do if you knew you only had one day to live? Uh, and then it struck me, Jesus knew that, and he washed feet. Yep. <laughs> so, exactly. yeah. Now, St. Polycarp, we only have one letter of his. Um, we have his letter to the Philippians, the same Philippians that St. Paul wrote to. Mm-hmm. And we also have an account of his martyrdom. But there's a lot in his book, in his letter to the Philippians, that's very interesting. So go back to what I said a moment ago, where I had this professor that said that Polycarp was a good Baptist. And I want to read what he wrote in chapter two of his letter to the Philippians. He writes, quote, but he who raised him up from the dead will raise us, raise us up also, if we do his will and walk in his commandments and love what he loved. Keeping ourselves from all unrighteousness, covetousness, love of money, evil speaking, false witness, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, or blow for blow, or cursing for cursing, but being mindful of what the Lord said in this teaching. Judge not, that you be not judged. Forgive, and it shall be forgiven unto you. Be merciful, that you may obtain mercy. 
With what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you again. And once more, blessed are the poor and those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So think, think about Baptist theology, all right? Faith alone. How many times did St. Polycarp, who's writing in the early second century, use the word if? Yeah. If you follow his commandments. Now, he, Polycarp teaching, yes, faith is by, you know, salvation is by grace alone, and that is Catholic teaching. Everything is by the grace of God. But we have a role. We need to respond. We are called, we are called to respond to the grace of God every day. And so Jesus tells us to walk in his, follow his commandments. Polycarp's reminding us of that. God will raise us up if we do his will, because we could choose every day to turn away from Christ. We have that free will to do that. Mm-hmm. So very interesting words by Polycarp here. And something else he writes, and this is what really – when I was reading Polycarp for the first time, this stuck out at me. He writes, and again, in his letter to the Philippians, when you can do good, defer it not, because alms delivers from death. Now, I was reading this in my Logos Bible software, which is by Faith Life, and they have a Catholic version called Verbum. I since have gotten Verbum, but I was reading in Logos at the time, and there was a footnote there. And Philip Schaff, who was a Protestant historian, put that footnote in there. I click on the footnote because I was like, this is very curious. Guess where that quote is from, John? Do you know where that quote's from? No. Tobit 12.9. Wow. Oops. <laughs> not, All right. not, so, very, not very Baptist there. <laughs> no. So here is Polycarp. Again, the early second century. Using Tobit as scripture. I'm reading this, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. This guy knew St. John. <laughs> he knew the Apostle John. He's quoting Tobit. Um, the thought started occurring in my mind, like maybe he was told that this was something to read, that this was scriptural. Right. Very early on here. And coincidentally, our friend Gary Machuda actually wrote about this in his book, Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger which is one of those books that Catholics should read as well. Yeah. And Tobit's, a, Tobit's also a fascinating book. It is. It's very fascinating. But what's, what's interesting, Tobit, um, not Tobit, um, Polycarp's letter to the Philippians is a very short letter. You could probably read the whole thing in 20 to 30 minutes. But his, the account of his martyrdom has so many nuggets in it. And so when I read the account of his martyrdom, and so I, I already went over, you know, his charity to the soldiers that came, that, came, that came to arrest him and take him in. The emperor was trying to have some mercy on Polycarp because of, because of his age. You know, he was 86 years old. And they kept saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, just a little bit of incense. It's not going to hurt you. That way you can go and live. And Polycarp, the statement that gives me goosebumps every time I read it. 86 years have I served him. And he's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Absolutely. So what we're going to try to do, since you recommended the Polycarp's letter and you recommended the writing on his martyrdom, 
we're going to, after this show, we're going to try to find both of those and we'll clip them to the show notes for this particular show so that anyone listening to this show in the archive can go back and, and read those. So, William, you've already tipped your hand. So let's go ahead and go to early church father number two. You've already tipped your hand and told us that it's Justin Martyr. Why is why is Justin the second guy on your list? Justin Martyr was the first lay apologist in the church. So he was not a priest. He was not a deacon. He wasn't a bishop. He's like you and I. He was on the search for truth. And he and we have three works from him. We have his first and second apology and his letter to Trifo. Justin Martyr, he gives us glimpses into how the Roman Empire was treating Christians. All right. The Roman Empire said that the Christians were atheists. And St. Justin writes, Hence, we are called atheists, and we confess that we are atheists so far as the gods of this sort are concerned, but not with respect to the most true God, the Father of righteousness and temperance and the other virtues, who is free from all impurity. So Justin Martyr says, yes, we do not worship the Roman gods. Because of that, if you want to call us atheists, that's fine. We worship the true God. There was also a charge of cannibalism because... The Romans said they eat their God. Does that sound familiar, John? Eucharist, right? Mm-hmm. We eat Jesus. Yeah. I've heard <laughs> okay. that argument. All right. So Justin Martyr writes, For not by common bread nor common drink do we receive these. But since Jesus Christ, our Savior, was made incarnate by the word of God and had both flesh and blood for our salvation, so too, as we have been taught, the food that has been made into Eucharist by the Eucharistic prayer set down by him and by the change of which our blood and flesh is nurtured is both the flesh and and the blood of that incarnated Jesus. And so Justin Martyr is writing this to the emperor, countering all these arguments against Christians. And there was also a charge of incest. You know, because as Christians, we call each other brother, sister, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so Justin writes, and we think of it for the advantage of all men, that they are not restrained from learning these things, but are even urged thereto. For the restraint which human laws could not affect the word, inasmuch as he is divine, would have affected, had not the wicked demons taking us, I'm losing my words here, taking as their ally the lust of wickedness which is in every man, and which draws variously to all manner of vice, scattered many false and profane accusations, none of which attach to us. So he's saying this accusation is false, you know, it's profane, we were not guilty of incest. But we're all brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And then the Christians were also charged with conspiracy to overthrow the state. And Justin answers that too. For if we look for a human kingdom, we should also deny our Christ that we might be slain. And we should strive to escape detection that we might obtain what we expect. But since our thoughts are not fixed on the present, we are not concerned when men cut us off. Since also death is a debt which must all events be paid. All right. Now, Justin Martyr as well, he describes um, the mass. And when I read this for the first time, I remember thinking, where is this church? All right. He talks about the prophets being, the prophets being read, the memoirs of the apostles being read. And after that, the presider says a few words. When the presider is done, gifts are brought up and the bread and wine becomes the Eucharist, which is the flesh and blood of our Lord, and only those who have been baptized are worthy to partake. Mm-hmm. 
I was like, where is this church at? <laughs> so really quickly, so, really quickly but, again, give us again the time frame that Polycarp is writing and the time frame that Justin Martyr is writing. All right, so Polycarp was writing right around 151, Martyr around 156. And they're in two totally different areas. So this is, I mean, second. So Justin, second, Justin Martyr is writing, is writing when? About 156. Okay. So, oh, okay. You said Polycarp. Uh, again, what time? 150, 151. And Justin Martyr, 156. Okay. Yep. Okay. Two totally so, different areas. One's in right. Rome, one's in Turkey. Right. So now we're we're talking about second century here. Yep. Second century. And, and you're discovering second century writings that are explicitly Catholic. One is describing in great detail the Catholic Mass, what, what is going on in the Catholic Mass and who may participate. The other is rep- referencing uh, works such as Tobit. Uh, this is really disconcerting for you because you went in to prove that the church fathers were of the Protestant mindset, at, at right. this point, you're starting to get a little unsettled. Am I right? Right. And, and, and going back to Polycarp for a second, um, when he was finally killed and then burned, in his account of his martyrdom, they say that we went and collected his bones, more precious than gold. And at the anniversary of his martyrdom, you know, we thank God and pray over these bones. So there was relics there, too. Second century, so so you're this just not starting some to medieval invention or anything right. like that. This is second century stuff. So you're just starting to to dive into these second century writings. Now all of a sudden you've been confronted with the Deuterocanonical books. You've been confronted with the Mass, and now you're being confronted with with relics. Right. Uh, the evidence is, is is starting to pile up, kind of um, kind of pile up in favor of the Catholic Church. So. Just to make sure we stay on our, our on our timeline here, because I know you're on a time schedule, let's go real quick into number three. Who is your early church father, number three? All right, let's talk about the friend of St. Polycarp, St. Ignatius of Antioch. All right, he was he was he wrote even earlier, um, so he was around one. He was martyred one oh seven one ten something like mm-hmm. that um, during the reign of Emperor Trajan. But he was martyred at Rome, and oh my goodness, you want to talk about a treasure trove of things here. He wrote seven letters that we could still read. They're online for free. Let me read one of these things. This is from his letter to the Smyrnians. See that you all follow the bishop, even as Christ does the Father, and the presbytery, the priest, as you would the apostles, and reverence the deacons as being the institution of God. Though no man do anything connected with the church without the bishop, let that be deemed a proper Eucharist, which is administered either by the bishop or by the one whom he has entrusted it. Wherever the bishop shall appear, there let the multitude of people also be, even as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Wow. That was like a board in the head when you read that, wasn't it? It sure was. I mean, (laughs) Catholic means universal, but here we are, second century, in the church where... In the book of Acts says, you know, those in Antioch were first called Christians. Here he is, 
the Bishop of Antioch saying wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. And here's another one that really got me. All right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, and some of these I'm just reading verbatim so people don't think I'm making this up. It's in his letter to the Romans. Ignatius, also called Theophorus, to the church has found mercy in the greatness of the Most High Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, to the church beloved and enlightened after the love of Jesus Christ, our God, by the will of him that has willed everything which is, to the church, which also holds the presidency in the place of the country of the Romans, worthy of God, worthy of honor, worthy of blessing, worthy of praise, worthy of success, worthy of sanctification, and because you hold the presidency of love, named after Christ and named after the Father, here, therefore, do I salute in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. So a lot of things in there. We have the preeminency, the presidency of the Church of Rome. And we also have someone just outside of the first century calling Jesus God. Okay, so two key things in there. And one other thing he says in his letter to the Romans that got me. You have envied no one, but others you have taught. I desire only that what you have enjoined in your instruction may remain in force. So he's writing to the church at Rome. What you teach needs to remain in force. 107. This is not 1250, 1300, nothing like that. This is early second century stuff here. I mean, so it's just, and he says so many things about the Eucharist being the flesh of Jesus Christ um, and how people are heterodox or in heresy because they refuse the Eucharist because they say it's not the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all second century stuff here. And I was like, oh, my head's reeling. So my head's reeling, but I kind of, I kind of get my bearings. I'm like dismissing it. Then we go to church father four. And this is really what sealed my deal. St. Ignatius of Antioch. I'm not St. Ignatius. I'm St. Irenaeus of Lyon. St. Irenaeus was a bishop in Lyon, which is now France. And he, and everyone needs to read this book. It's called Against Heresies. It's this great book. He's writing against the Gnostics. The Gnostics said that anything material was evil. And Man, you talk about a Holy Spirit in a frying pan moment, St. Ignatius of Ant- – I keep saying St. Ignatius, but St. Irenaeus gave that to me. He had what's called a rule of faith, and he said, if you want to know if you're the true church, you know, because the Gnostics were saying they were the true church because they had the secret knowledge that Jesus passed down in secret to his apostles and disciples. But he says, if you're the true church, you need to be able to trace your lineage through the bishops, but you can't do that. And this is what he writes. But since it would be too long to enumerate in such a volume as this the successions of all the churches, we shall confound all those who in whatever manner, whether through self-satisfaction or vainglory or through blindness and wicked opinion, assemble other than where it is proper. By pointing out here the successions of the bishops of the greatest and most ancient church known to all, founded and organized at Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul, that church, which has the tradition and the faith with which comes down to us after having been announced to men by the apostles, for with this church, listen up, with this church, because of its superior origin, all churches must agree. That is, all the faithful in the whole world. And it is in her 
that the faithful everywhere have maintained the apostolic tradition. Here we are. And for those that are wondering, St. Irenaeus was also writing in the second century. Okay? He said all churches must agree with the church in Rome. And they have to have apostolic succession, meaning they need to be able to trace their bishops all the way back to the apostles. And if they can't do that, they're not a true church. So anyone out there, can your bishop trace their lineage back to the apostles? Now, there are some denominations will say we could trace the teaching. The teaching, okay, that's fine. The Bible can be considered that. Let's not be loosey-goosey with the language here. Can you trace the direct lineage, the laying on of hands directly back to the apostles? Right. Okay. Some will say Lutherans can do that. Martin Luther was ordained by a bishop, but Martin Luther was not a bishop. He didn't have the authority to ordain. That line of succession stopped with whoever ordained Martin Luther. And even if Martin Luther had been a bishop, it would have stopped anyway because he wasn't in communion with the church. He had broken communion with the church. Because he was excommunicated, right. Right. And I only say that because someone – because I saw that argument on Facebook last night. So St. Irenaeus is very matter-of-fact here. You need to agree with the Church of Rome. You need to be able to trace your lineage back to the apostles. But he he says something very interesting as well. He gives a defense as Mary as mother of God. Very early on, second century, nothing made up later on, mother of God. Jesus right. is God. Mary gave birth to God. Therefore, Mary is the mother of God. It's very simple logic. I mean, seriously. So, <laughs> so now very, very clearly, uh, I want to make this point very, very clearly. This creates a real problem. Uh, for those who are saying that this is something that we invented at the Council of Ephesus, because the Council of Ephesus came centuries after that. 431, uh, right. Right. So so all of these things that this is very, very problematic for anybody reading these things, because you can say that we invented uh, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception in 1854. We invented the Assumption in 1950 and all of these so-called Catholic inventions, the problem is it's not really plausible to say that the church fell into heresy in a second generation. <laughs> but right. from, from the hands of people who were, who were handed on the teachings from the apostles that they had already apostatized and went into this, this, this fake church, it's not plausible for anybody trying to think with an honest, rational, logical mind. Am I right? Right. And what's exactly right? And with St. Irenaeus, for example, do you know who he was taught by? St. Polycarp. Who was St. Polycarp taught by? St. John. So there so is right that there, direct we have connection. That line of succession established in the second century. John, Polycarp, Irenaeus. Right. And then in the Bible, that. in the Bible, we, you know, they, we, we hear people say, well, where, where do we see that in the Bible? Well, what about Paul and Timothy? We're, we're seeing it right there. Paul and, right Tim, there. Paul and Timothy, Matthias replacing Judas. I mean, it's there. And, and um, how about, it's not how there about if Mark? You have your blinders on and if you're blinded by your tradition. 
Yeah, John Mark, who is a, a basically a disciple of Peter, writes one of the Gospels. Uh, so that line of succession is right there. In fact, isn't it true that the first three popes are actually named in Scripture? Yeah, I mean, you got Linus in one of uh, – I forget which of Paul's letters it is offhand, but Linus is named in there, the second pope. Clement is in there. He wrote the letter to the Corinthians. Oh, which is another one everyone should read. That's not on my list. But he 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 wrote to the church in Corinth. Oh man, the church in Corinth had a lot of crazy issues, didn't they? <laughs> but but he he's basically saying reinstate who we put in place over you guys, or else like we're exercising our authority. Like it, it's it's amazing. It, it is right there. If you look, if you read these church fathers in scripture, for that matter, with an open mind, let them say what they're going to say you're going to come to some conclusions that may cause you some discomfort. Okay. Cause like for me, I was wanting, I was wanting them to prove my Protestantism and it did the opposite and it shook me. Okay. It shook me and I eventually got over it. Um, did what the Holy spirit told me to do, but for converts Hundreds of converts, thousands of converts, they kind of did the same thing I did. They started reading the church fathers and saw, oh, wait, this is not what my church teaches. <laughs> okay. And that I recently, I listened to a lot of audiobooks because I drive a lot. Patrick Madrid, um, his Surprised by Truth, the first version is now an audiobook. Mm-hmm. And over, there was a common theme in all of those conversion stories. And it was the early church fathers because they show what the church taught and it's what the Catholic church teaches today. So please read them with an open mind. All right. You're listening to the four persons podcast. If you'd like to call in, the number is 515-602-9655. Again, the number is 515-602-9655. Nine six five five. William, you mind if we take a quick call, real quick, uh, before we go to Church Father Number Five? This is actually going to be our guest in the second half, but let me bring him on real quick sure. for uh, any comment or question he, he may have. Terry, how you doing today? Oh, Terry, what's good, going on? Sir, pretty good. I'm I'm loving this. Uh, I'm loving this show because um, I wasn't. Protestant per se, but that the understanding I have had of Christianity was of a Protestant bent. Um, I was I was uh, I was a child of the devil, but the understanding I had of Christianity was of a Protestant bent. And one of the uh, writers that was really uh, um, significant in, in in bringing me to the uh, church was uh, uh, Scott Hahn. And he kind of says a lot of the stuff that this brother is talking about. You know, it's like um, if you trace Christianity all the way back, it's and um, one of the things I've, I've now that I am Catholic and 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 talk a lot to uh, Protestants, um, they're, they're turned off by the the old saying, um, um, "There's no salvation outside the Catholic Church." And and what it comes down to is. If a Protestant church 
has a teaching that could possibly uh, lead somebody to Christ, well, that teaching came from the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. All salvation comes from the Catholic Church. You know, I just wanted to kind of throw that in. Okay. We're going to have Terry back on in about 20 minutes um, for the second part of this show. I want everybody to tune into that. That's going to be an exciting uh, program that we're kicking off. It's going to be called Taking It to the Streets. So, William, let's go into uh, – you've given us Polycarp. You've given us Justin Martyr, Ignatius of Antioch, and you've given us St. Irenaeus. So uh, I'm curious to see who, who is number five. Let's go to the east, St. John Chrysostom. Mm. St. John Chrysostom was actually Bishop of Constantinople, and he lived between 347 and 407. One of his nicknames is the Golden Tongue, not because his tongue was made of gold, but because (laughs) he was a very eloquent speaker. And he also wrote the Divine Liturgy that's still used in the Eastern churches. So if any of our brothers and sisters out there are part of an Eastern church, like the Byzantine church, for example— the Byzantine Catholic Church, their liturgy is written by John Chrysostom. Very, it's a very beautiful liturgy. If anyone ever has the chance to attend it, it'll be well worth your time to do so. It's, just, it's absolutely beautiful. But, yeah, he became bishop of Constantinople in 398. And he had a lot of interesting things to say. I'm trying to... I have quotes lined up here, and it seems like they've gone away. But here we go here. Here's one. He had this he, – he wrote a lot about wealth. And this one hit me, and I have read this just a couple months ago. And so these, some of these are a lot newer to me. These didn't really – his reading, his, his teaching on the Incarnation, the Eucharist, did help my conversion. But this one on wealth I felt was powerful, and it's very short. It said – do you pay such honor to your excrements as to receive them into a silver chamber pot when another man made in the image of God is perishing in the cold? I think wow. sometimes we get too caught up in the material aspects that we ignore the works of mercy. And um, St. John Chrysostom, just with that little two-liner, kind of brings that to light. But on the Incarnation and Eucharist, wow, let me read this to you. It was not enough that he became man. And this is especially important with the season brand with it being Holy Saturday. It was not enough that he became man, that he was struck in the face, that he was slaughtered. But he also commingles himself with us. And this not alone through faith. He has in very deed made us his own body. Who should be more free from sin than one who partakes in such a sacrifice? As spotless as the sunbeam should be, the hand that breaks the body, the mouth that is to be filled with this spiritual fire, the tongue that is stained by his awesome blood. Consider with what honor you have been honored, at what table you feast, that which the angels tremble to behold and dare not gaze upon because of its flashing brightness. It is with this we are nourished, to this we are joined, made one body and one flesh with Christ. Oh, How, beautiful. And this came to light really during the shutdowns with COVID and everything. How much for granted when we took the Eucharist for granted until it was taken away? Mm-hmm. We took it for granted. 
and it's something we, that should not be taken for granted. Christ died for us. What all he endured for us as we're sinning, we may as well be there hammering the nails into his hands, his feet, and all that. He did it for us because he loves us. And at Mass, we're given his body and his blood to nourish us, to give us strength, and we take it for granted. It's something that should not happen. I mean, what an outrage. Awesome reminds us of that in such a powerful way. Go ahead. What was that? I, I was just going to say, it's, it, it, it really is a moral outrage when you look at right. what our Lord did for us and, and for us to look so callously and, and flippantly upon that, uh, that the fact that he, he gives us his own body, blood, soul, and divinity uh, in order to help us as a, a spiritual medicine uh, gives us the opportunity, William, to participate in his own divinity. Right. Uh, who wouldn't want to sign up for that? And and uh, the fact that we could turn our nose up uh, at such a at, at such a marvelous gift, or 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 not give it the the uh, all that it, that it deserves is you're right. Something that we need to to look at very very seriously. So, all right. So we're going to put in the show notes. Going to put a little bit of each of these five early church fathers. Um, Real quick, I want you to talk about now. Now, you've taken the sum of all this information, all this you know uh, accumulated information. You've kind of internalized it. You've kind of uh, uh, deciphered it, digested it. What was the clincher? What was the clincher at at which point that you said, "Okay, I, I don't have any choice. I know where I have to go. I I have to join the Catholic Church." What what was it that got you over the uh, the tripping point where you knew there was no way back? I would say after Irenaeus, reading that all churches have to agree with Rome. But I still had issues with Mary. All right, I had issues with the assumption of Mary. And this is where Scott Hahn comes into play, as he does with so many converts. And I told Dr. Hahn this when I had him on my YouTube channel, and he acted like he was shocked like his testimony actually helps people. He's just a humble guy. Um, (laughs) But he said, we have relics of all these saints, and there's huge churches built on top of them. But no church claims to have the relics of Mary, because if there were, there'd be the biggest church ever made. And it's such a simple argument, but it makes so much sense, and I didn't think of it. So for all intents and purposes, after after reading Irenaeus, I knew I had to become Catholic, but I was holding out. Like I was, I was grasping at straws, and so when I saw that little, I, was thinking, I think it was like a three-minute YouTube video that came across my Facebook feed. Um, like that was it. Like I, I knew. It's um, difficult to make to, that, to not that do leap so of would faith, be isn't intellectual it? dishonesty. So, I had to. There was there was no choice after that. Right, um, like but said, it's, was, even was, then, even sorry, once you got. Even once you got to the point where you understood it at an intellectual level, it's still scary. I mean, a, a big life change from from what you you know had grown to understand. It's it's still it's a it's a scary step to take. Am I right? It is not only because it was scary, but I was in seminary. <laughs> okay, so I had plans, right? 
I was doing this for a reason. Um, but thanks be to God, it isn't like I'm not in ministry now. I mean, I'm doing stuff online. I'm running the RCIC program at my parish. I'm helping with RCIA. I'm still I'm doing a lot of ministry stuff now. I'm just doing it in a way that I didn't think I was going to do it back then. And he used everything that I learned growing up in seminary and all my reading and everything to help me, uh, dare I say, teach people in a I guess in, in a better way so they understand maybe a little deeper and hopefully they see my passion through it. God has used everything that I've God God can use anything, right? He could use anyone for that matter, and that's what he did. The stuff I learned growing up in the Wesleyan church, when I became a Baptist, kind of used all that knowledge that I gained and helped me, helped me discern what is true, what was not, so I could use it today. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. And so you now... Um, it's now your responsibility, as as we're trying to do here as a podcaster, as an apologist, to kind of pass that knowledge on. One of the ways that you've done that is you've you've written some books. Talk about some of the books that you've written, and where people can get them. Well, they're all they're all they're, well. Thank you for that. They're all on Amazon, and there's a link on my website too, WilliamHemsworth.com, and I have tons of free articles there and resources as well that are that are up there. But um, one a couple of my books are just a collection of essays. Um, I do have um, one book called The Biblical Case for the Catholic Faith, where it's just Bible quotes. It's, a, it's one volume on there. I'm still working on volume two. Volume one was published a few years ago. I'm still working on volume two. And basically, and I did something interesting there, is I used the King James Bible. And people are like, why are you going to use the King James Bible? It's not even the Catholic translation. And I did that because if I use the Catholic translation, I could be accused of bias. Mm-hmm. So I use the King James Bible to point to the truth <laughs> of the Catholic faith within the King James Bible. I, I'm, I'm laughing because um, I've used the same strategy. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, wonderful strategy. For instance, when I was arguing about uh, you know, prayer to, to, to Mary – uh, and and people have accused me. Well, that's worship. Okay. Well, all right. Well, let's go to First Kings chapter two in your King James Bible. Yeah. Where Adonijah approaches his mother and says, "Pray ye, ask the king to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife." I said, "Is is Adonijah praying to his mother? Is is Adonijah worshiping his mother?" And then the mother Bathsheba goes into Solomon and says, "Pray ye, grant me grant me right. this request." So is Bathsheba worshiping uh, her son Solomon? No, of course not. To pray means right. to ask. Uh, exactly. That's what it means. It, it can be an element of worship. It can be a part of worship, uh, but by itself, it's not worship. And that was one of the things you came to understand in your conversion walk is that worship is uh, a lot more than just uh, saying prayers and singing songs. There's a lot more to it. It's, it, 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 it goes a lot higher than that. It involves right. it involves the the sacrifice. It involves liturgy. Um, that was a big light on for you, wasn't it? Right. And on that note, I wrote two booklets. One of them is um, "Blood of Body and Blood of Christ Are Just a Symbol," which is just a little booklet on the Eucharist. I think it's I think it takes like twenty minutes to read. And then I have one on the Roman Canon, which is the first Eucharistic prayer, 
and I did it in the 1962 version, so, so there is some Latin in there and everything. Some people don't like that, but uh, <laughs> but I did it on the teachings within the first Eucharistic prayer about all the Catholic theology that's in that one prayer if we just pay attention. Like um, praying for those in purgatory, the teaching of purgatory, uh, teaching on the body and blood of Christ, of course, uh, teaching of the divinity of Christ. All that stuff is in that one prayer if we just pay attention to those things. So that's some of the stuff I'm doing. Um, I'm working on one right now, which is just an introduction, a Catholic introduction to every book of the Bible. It's just an introduction to the Bible and the thousand, to that book in a thousand words or less. That's what I'm working on right now. And so far, I'm up to Second Samuel. Wow. So yeah, that's, it's, that's it's, kind of what I'm up to. So, so what what, yeah, are you, what are you up to? What's up with the four persons? I have to flip, I have to flip this around a little bit. Oh uh, well, the four persons uh, is based on the greatest commandment. Uh, and it was a counselor who uh, actually told me this. We were going through a, a very, very dark time in in, uh, in in our life. We had to put a family member, send a family member to prison for 20 years, and it was a very, very dark and and and, and challenging time. And this counselor basically uh, broke this down to me that each person is four persons. And those four persons must be healthy. Persons must work together. They're inter- interconnected, but they're each independent. So I looked at her like she was absolutely out of her mind. I'd never heard anything like this before. Uh, and she was a, a Catholic counselor. She was for, through Catholic charity. So I said, okay, I, I break this down to me. Well, okay, you're you're doing your family budget, William. And uh, you, you're adding up the numbers and the column of dollars going out is a lot bigger than the column of dollars going in, right? Now, right. you you figure this out, and that's a problem, right? Okay. It sure is. Well, how did you figure that out? You figured that out mentally, mental person. Uh, you, you, you added up all that information. You added up the numbers, and the numbers don't add up. Well, what is going to be the natural reaction of most people? You're going to start to worry. You're going to start to fret. You're going to start to maybe start feeling sorry for yourself. Why does this always happen to me? What am I going to do? Why is, you know, why do I suffer all the, you know, the bad stuff? Well, that's emotional person. Emotional person is now kicked in. That's now the heart. Okay. Well, what's going to follow next? You're going to start pacing the floor. You're going to start having heart palpitations. You're going to start sweating. Your stomach's going to be tied up in knots. Now physical person is engaged. Mm. And what you do after that, is what's going to decide the course on how you're going to react. Are you going to go out and do something stupid like you know, go on a drinking binge to cope or something stupid and self-destructive, or are you going to sit down and pray, go to adoration, uh, trust in God to, to get you through this? Now spiritual person has kicked in. So I did as so many Christians do one day, weeks later. I said, I'm going to read some scripture. Just you ever do that? Just open up the Bible to wherever it falls, right? Right. Well, by happenstance, it fell to Mark chapter 12. And Jesus is confronted with a question. What is the greatest commandment? And the greatest commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and thy whole mind and thy whole soul and thy whole strength. And that was a mind bomb right there. Boom. There it is right there in the gospel. 
that what she was telling me was the truth. Whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength. You can't be halfway in. All four persons have to have to uh, participate in that. And when you really think about that, when you go through the liturgy of the Catholic Mass, all four persons are present. There's there's physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual elements of of of, of the Mass. The physical part: we kneel, we stand, we sit. We kneel, we stand, we sit. Uh, the emotional part: we 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 sing songs, we we cry out our love for God, right? The mental part: we we mental uh, 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 we 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 meditate on the homily, we meditate on the readings, on the on the on the um, uh, the you know the 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 readings from the priest and everything, and then of course there's the spiritual part, and the spiritual part is the biggest encounter when you go up to the priest and he raises a host up and says the body of Christ, and you say Amen. Right. It looks like bread, but your soul is assenting to the knowledge that you know what it really is. So all elements, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, are present. That's the four persons right there in a nutshell. What do you think? Makes sense to me. I'm sure you get a lot of questions about it. So <laughs> we we do. That's why on the website we posted the quote from Mark chapter twelve. We said, Well this will this will solve that. So as soon as they go to the website, they see the four quote, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, and whole strength. And we hope that'll weed out at least half of the questions. People will see right. that and say, Oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> but you're right, we Makes do get sense. we do get questioned on it, uh you know, constantly. Who are these? Who are these four persons? What is he? What is he talking about? So, real quick, let's wrap this up. Uh, give a plug for your website again, where people can hear your podcast, uh, can get your books, read your articles. Uh, once again, please. Yeah, so my website is williamhemsworth.com, and if you go on YouTube, my YouTube channel is William Hemsworth The Bible Catholic. The books are on Amazon, and the podcast is called The Bible Catholic. And John, I thank so much for having me on your show. It's been a blast, and God bless you for what you're doing. Awesome. And uh, boy, if you guys want to learn, this is a guy to go to. He's a, a very, very knowledgeable Catholic, and from day one has been uh, a great and dear friend. William, I'm so glad that you came on. Hope that uh, I'll have you on again at some point, and hope that at some point I can come on on your podcast at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Be, be, glad to. We'll work that out for sure. All right. God bless. You have a wonderful day. You as well. Thank you. Happy Easter. William Hemsworth, everyone, and a blessed Easter to you as well. And I want everyone to hang around because we're going to be right back with the second part of this doubleheader, and uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to have Terry Delp on, and we're kicking off our new ministry postulate here on the four persons called taking it to the streets.
person show on blog talk radio we are your enthusiastic and faithful catholic apostolate for more information about what we do go to our show page at the four and our blog site at the four to call in tonight with your comment or question dial 515-602-9655 the number, again, is 515-602-9655. And back for hour number two on this special Saturday Easter weekend, Holy Saturday, broadcast of the Four Persons Podcast, and great things are coming for this podcast. We've applied for 501c3 as a nonprofit, so that process has begun, and we're going to have our hands in uh, a lot of things, and one of them, that song you just heard, kind of just describes what we're going to do. We're going to be going out into the streets with programs that reach people where their needs are. Uh, I'm so excited about this, this uh, aspect of what we're doing. 
I'm going to bring the guy on right now and let him describe what we're going to do and all of the different aspects of what taking it to the streets is going to be for the four persons apostolate. Terry Delp, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you don't mind, can I can I start with uh, the Fatima prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, oh, my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, amen and amen. Just taking it to the streets, I want to kind of pattern it after uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 25. Um, when uh, the people, you know, they get to the gate and they're like, you know, uh, you know, he says, uh, they say, Lord, you know, uh, you know, we've done all this stuff for you, you know, this and that, this and that. Um, but he says, you know, depart from me. I, I never knew you, you know. And uh, and then he, he goes on to say in verse 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And many times we get involved in our church community, and that's what we're involved in. We, we, we forget about those that are in the streets, those that are in prisons, those that are, are, are homeless. And uh, part of the Great Commission is for us to take the gospel, not just the, the words written in the Bible, but the message of Christ, and that is, you know, to go out and to to uh, clothe the naked, to feed the the hungry, and and um, you know, give shelter to the homeless, and and to show the love of Christ to those who who have never been shown love at all, you know, and that's kind of what this uh, taking it to the streets is going to be about. Um, <clears throat> this show, uh, I'm I'm entitling it. From Mets House to God's House, and the reason why, because I, in the, in the weeks coming up, I'm gonna be discussing some pretty dramatic uh, conversion stories. Um, I'm gonna discuss some of the uh, activities that I and and my fellow uh, brothers of Saint Dismas are involved in, and you know, feeding the homeless, uh, bringing them uh, clothing and shelter, and um, also some of the uh, evangelism that we do with uh you know with with gang members with with those that are actually in the street and um but this is you know it's not about a human being it's about a house that god was able to change from a very evil environment to a very righteous one um so that's that's how i wanted to get started uh with it on the first show of taking it to the streets. So now um, talk about talk about some of the individual missions, some of the individual uh, re- outreaches that you plan to bring to bring to us. Okay, um, so I'm a member of the the Brothers of Saint Dismas, and um, it started off as. Uh, a fraternity of Catholic brothers helping one another to live holy lives in prison. Everybody was that was a, a brother of Saint Dismas in the beginning was was a convict or an ex-convict, and um, and our our I mean, prison is is a hard 
hard place to live the Catholic faith. And so uh, we, we came together, and our our goal was to help one another live holy lives. Um, shortly after it's, uh, it, it began, um, an, another group, uh, a sister group, the Sisters of Mary Magdalene, was formed in the, the women's penitentiaries. Um, as we started to get out of prison, um, you know, free will chapters started opening up and, you know, some people who have never been to prison, uh, most of them were like uh, um, ministers that, that would go in uh, from time to time to uh, uh, bring the the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. And they became uh, affiliated or and or became uh, full-fledged members of the Brothers of St. Dismas and Sisters of Mary Magdalene. Um, and what our goal is in the, the free world chapter was to uh, help Catholic brothers and sisters who have been incarcerated for extended periods of times to um, reintegrate into society um, with our faith being the central foundation of our reintegration. What I mean by that is uh, there's a lot of things you need to do when you get out of prison in order not to go back, right? Uh, I mean, you got to get a job, you got to get a place to stay. Eventually, you got to get a vehicle. You know, blah, you know, check this box, check that box. But the central thing that you need in order to make the right decisions is your faith. And so that's what it. Uh, that's what we started doing. And then um, this house that I'm going to talk about uh, was donated to us, and um, we renovated it and turned it into what is now called the Kobe House. And um, we actually built a chapel in the back of it called uh, uh, the Kobe Chapel, Maximilian Kobe Chapel. Um, and they have mass there every Tuesday. Um, I think they try like once or twice a month uh, to go downtown Houston, and uh, they bring food and clothing to the homeless uh, people in uh, downtown Houston. Um, I myself, I have a, a YouTube channel called Break the Cycle, Beat the Odds, where I, I try to reach out to uh, convicts and um, I try to emphasize the the importance of re- keeping your faith central. Um, and from there, I build, um, you know, I show people how to how to apply for jobs, you know, how to balance a checkbook. Some of some of the things that all of us take for granted, but mm-hmm. uh, I know from experience after doing 18 years in prison, when you get out, you you don't know these things. You're you're a kid in a grown up's world, and you don't know these things. And so, one of the things I try to do is uh, is try to show people um, how to how to cross T's and dot I's, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the me- at the same time of, of keeping the faith central, you know. Um, so let's go uh, back to let's go back to uh, expand on something that you brought up because you brought up three particular saints. So for those who may not be as versed in the in the Catholic faith uh, as we are, I want to talk about these three saints and why you chose these three particular saints as as their um as your role models as as uh someone to base this ministry on let's start with saint dismas 
uh, tell everyone who St. Dismas was and, and why you uh, adopt him as a role model. Okay, so um, St. Dismas is actually the uh, quote-unquote good thief uh, in the Bible that, that hung next to uh, Jesus, and um, he, he reprimanded the, uh, the other uh, guy that was on the cross because he was uh, saying disparaging things to Christ and, and saying, if, you know, if you're truly the Son of God, save yourself and us. And um, St. Dismas, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, you know, hey, man, shut up. Told him to shut up. You know, <laughs> we're up here for a good reason. This man's up here for no reason at all. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And um, he was, you know, he's the first recorded uh, saint of the Catholic Church because um, Jesus tells him, in, in uh, this day you will be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. And so we chose uh, St. Dismas because, you know, we were rightfully convicted and in prison. And our cry was, Lord, remember me. You know, remember me. You know, um, mm. and so that's that's kind of where the 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 name uh, Brothers of Saint Dismas came from. That's that's heavy, Terry. And 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 give me quickly that re- uh, website before we move on to the next one. Oh sure, it's bizmag dot org. That's b i s m a g dot org. Um, if you go on there, that it'll it'll tell you all about it. Okay. All right. So now, Saint Mary Magdalene, who was she, and why why have you chosen her as a role model? Um. Well, for the sister organization, um, Mary Magdalene was the um. A sinful woman that that uh, that came to Christ, and and, and in both of these uh, saints that we chose, it was you know because we all we knew that we weren't just sinful, you know, like everybody's sinful since Adam and Eve. Everybody is sinful except for Christ and Mary. But these two saints represented a, a you know that that extra type of sinful person that we are and 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 that's one of the and she also you know became a um a dedicated servant to jesus christ that he saved her and so again that's that's a uh, that's why she was chosen as the uh patron saint of our sisters mm-hmm. and this third one that you referenced uh you didn't give the first name but colby saint, saint uh, maximian colby Saint Maximilian Kobe. Okay, so uh, Deacon Denny, who is the president of the Brothers of Saint Dismas, is also a deacon of a uh, Saint Maximilian Kobe Church in Houston. Saint Maximilian Kobe was um, a priest during World War II, and uh, what a lot of people don't realize during the Holocaust, it wasn't just Jews that were being thrown in concentration camps. Uh, a lot of Catholic priests were also being thrown in Catholic, uh, concentration camps. And and I'm saying this from memory. I'm not reading it, so uh, forgive me if I paraphrase a little bit. But um, while St. Maximilian Kobe was in uh, the concentration camp, those that were Catholic 
you know, they would save, you know, their bread and stuff, and, and St. Max, Maximilian Kobe would, uh, you know, do um, mass there in the concentration camps. Well, there was this one Jewish uh, man, and his he had a family, a wife, and, and, and several children. In fact, he just died, I think, in 1996. And uh, he... Uh, he was chosen, you know, when they get overpopulated in the concentration camps, the, the Nazis would just choose people to kill and uh, bring down the population. So he was chosen. They were going to uh, execute him. And uh, St. Maximilian Kobe stepped forward and said, hey, you know, this guy has a family that, that needs him. Allow me to take his place. And so... <laughs> yeah, they uh they executed Saint Maximilian Kobe in place of the uh the other I forget the guy's name, um but uh yeah, it was uh it was a definite um I mean he definitely did what Christ told us and uh was willing to lay down his life for uh for Jesus Christ, uh and, the same way that Jesus Christ laid and down Saint his life. Max for us. Kobe. And Saint Max Kobe, it was not a it was not a uh easy martyrdom he was basically starved to death it was it wasn't like he was uh uh you know shot on the spot or something like that it was it was a very very difficult and agonizing uh, martyrdom right so so you talked about prison ministry and that's obviously a, a very very important part of the message that that you want to take to the streets so, so to speak uh, there's also another part that you're very, very um, involved in that's a very, very important part of what you're advocating for, and, and not just advocating for in words, but advocating for in action. Uh, talk about your uh, the abortion abolitionist uh, part of your outreach. Oh, sure, sure. Um, so I got a Facebook group, and it's called um... – Abortion abolitionists, um, and so that is um, the reason I chose that name um, is because uh, a lot of the uh, pro-life groups, you know, the pro-life movement um, is is gigantic. I mean, there's everything from Christians, uh, Muslims, atheists, all are part of, you know, the the pro-life movement for for one reason or or another, right? And um, I noticed that a lot of uh, a lot of the subgroups within the pro-life movement uh, were getting kind of um, wishy-washy. You know, um, there was it was pro-life for for other reasons um, other than you know the the idea that we're we are duty bound to protect the innocent you know and uh, I was listening to uh, Timothy Gordon and I heard him use the the term uh, abortion abolitionist and I went to to looking up the history of of abolitionism. Uh, particularly in in contents with uh, with slavery, and uh, I noticed that the 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 ones that were considered abolitionists were uh, 
a lot more radical than the ones that were just anti-slavery, right? Um, anti-slavery groups would times donate money to to you know help people escape from slavery, whereas uh, slavery abolitionists would actually go out and and you know put their life on the line to stop it. And um, coming from the intense background that I came from, um, I, I thought that uh, when I was in the gang, I was willing to fight for the gang. I was willing to die for the gang. And I was willing to take life for the gang. You know, I was an extremist for the devil, you know. Uh, and I was like, well, how can I be Christian and not be as intense as I was when I was a hoodlum? Um, and, you know, of course, the answer is, you know, I can't. I, I don't want to be the one that Jesus says, um, you know, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spew you out my mouth, you know. Um, and so I, I embraced that um, abortion abolitionist uh, name. Um, I, and uh, that's, anyway, that's where the name came from. Um, I did a lot of research on it. And, uh and I wanted to take it to the next level as far as that is concerned. Uh, shortly, and it, all praise and glory to God, shortly after I started that group, Roe versus Wade was uh, was overturned. And um, so I've had to reconsider a lot of uh, my thought uh, because prayer and reliance on God um, – what does it say in uh, James? I believe it's chapter five, where he says the 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 uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And uh, so yes, that's what James I'm calling 5, on 16. those. That's what I'm calling on those in the group, you know, to to uh, that are unable for whatever reason, because uh, we got some people in the group that are, are really up there in age. But um, I'm calling on all of those in our group to 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 pray to God to fast, to 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 always uh, seek for an end to this satanic um, institution of baby slaughter. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the show, Terry, and your plans for the show. I know you, you want to do a lot of innovative, uh, cutting-edge stuff. I, I know me and you have talked a lot about this, and, and, and the vision for the show is to have it you're going to try to do a lot of outside-of-the-box stuff that you don't see on other podcasts. You don't want to sit in the studio and just talk for an hour. You're going to have the people on the street. You're going to have on-scene stuff going on. Talk about some of the ideas that you have and some of the uh, innovative reach-out that you're that you're planning to bring into this program to take the message, again, to use the, the, the metaphor, to the streets. This being the first show, I wasn't really sure how to do it, but I contacted uh, one of my brothers, uh, Tommy, and I told him, hey, we're doing this uh, on Saturday. Can uh, you and Deacon Denny call in? And he said, man, I, we can't make it Saturday. We're going to be downtown Houston feeding the homeless. So I was like, man, that would be awesome. So what I would like to do is on those movements where we're actually in the streets, you know, sharing Jesus Christ, uh, whether it's feeding the homeless, um, 
evangelizing to um, gang members, um, you know, whatever we're doing out there. I want to, and, and, and you and I are going to have to put our, our heads together to figure out how to make this uh, possible, but I want to, I want to be there. I want to get some video footage of, of what we're doing, of, of the power, <laughs> the absolute power of God happening in the streets because um, too many, again, too many of us um, in our church communities, that's kind of where we're at. We're in our church communities and, and, and I mean, we don't, we don't see, I mean, the, the, the miraculous conversions that are taking place in the streets. And when I say in the streets, I don't mean like literally just in the streets, but yeah, in the streets, in the prisons, in the juvenile detention centers, um, you know, in the laundromats, wherever we're at, you know, uh, when we're able to allow, and that's one of my prayers every time I receive the Eucharist. When I receive Jesus, I'll be like, Lord, right after we say, uh, um, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my uh, roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I said, Lord, allow your light to shine through me in everything I do, you know, and I want to be able to show the audience. I would like for you know to be able to show them this visually. Um, what submitting to Christ looks like to those who don't believe in Christ, you know. Right. We have a caller, real quick. Uh, this is uh, actually one of our regulars here on the Poor Persons. Uh, let me bring on uh, Lewis for his uh, comments and questions on on what we're talking about, what you're planning on doing with this outreach. Sure, L- Lewis, how you doing? Um, huh? Yeah, we got you. Hello? Go ahead. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, you're that gentleman from earlier today talking about the church father, and let me just say I'm amazed no, how you know no, so much was, from memory. That, that was William. This is our second half show. This is Terry and the uh, Taking It to the Streets uh, program. Yeah, my well, That's pretty amazing. Me. That's pretty amazing. Um, I wanted to ask the earlier gentleman, um, how do I get started learning more about the church fathers? Because that is something that interests me. I know plenty of the church fathers, you know, but um, expanding my knowledge doesn't hurt. All right, Hello? we can definitely we can definitely reach out to him for that. Um, but right now, do you have any questions well, hey, for Terry? Uh, yeah, no. Let me let me let me answer that, John, uh, because we've got something nowadays that you know people thirty, forty, and fifty years prior didn't have, and that's Google. All you got to do is type in Catholic Church Fathers, and you'll be amazed what pops up. Hmm. I was hoping more like a book sources, but that works too. I mean, like um. That works too. Yeah, I have a three book. Uh, uh, I have a three book series I would recommend called "The Faith of the Early Early Fathers" by William Jurgens. Um, it's a three book set. I would recommend that. I would also recommend uh, the software. Download the the software uh, Faith Database. I think it's forty dollars. It costs. It's a treasure trove of every council, every writing that you can think of from the Church Fathers. Ten different versions of the Bible. I mean, it's 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 amazing what's on there. You can go to faithdatabase.com. So I would recommend those two resources for starters. 
Definitely a good starting point, man. And I will do so. But um, so I have questions for you. Um, so you're doing, like you said, an outreach program that goes to the streets. Yes, sir. Can you tell me more, like, what's the plan with that? Well, so the plan, um, in its infancy stage, uh, I, I, I thought of. I, you know, John picked the name for this show, but my my outreach uh, uh, style um, started when we got our first member into the uh, Kobe house, and then we got a, a second guy, and these guys wanted to do work, you know, for Jesus Christ. Um, when when you're, most of us were in prisons, most of us were in some type of criminal organization or another. And when you're in a criminal organization, the way you, you rise in status is by uh, what they call putting in work. So with that mentality, those who become Catholic, you know, they take it to the other extreme. Well, now they want to put in work for Jesus Christ. What's that mean? Well, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a tent city in a, you know, in a place like Chicago or Houston, you know, where, I mean, it's just gigantic and it's rampant drug use, prostitution. Uh, you want to take just, the, the ministry there? Not just there, but in in every aspect of the world that is forgotten by by Catholics. Um, uh, we we want to pray in front of abortion clinics. We want to reach out to um, in in inner city uh, um, neighborhoods where gangs are running rapid. And we want to share our story. A lot of a lot of people, when you're trying to evangelize, they they say, "Show me the proof of God." Well, most of us can just point to ourselves and say, "We are the proof that God exists." You know what I'm saying? And um, so that's that's kind of where the the idea came from. John picked a really good name because I would have never thought of that in a hundred years. But taking it to the streets just kind of fits with my style of evangelization. That's very admirable. And we Catholics definitely do need to do that to kind of reclaim more members. I mean, all Protestants, you know, they come one way or another from the Catholic Church. And showing that people that we know the word and more accurately than they do, actually, that really helps in bringing people back. But the other thing that uh, I found... Let me just say this real quick. The other thing that I found over the years, Lewis, is that um, your actions have to be there. Uh, People uh, often tune out your words if your actions don't meet those words. Um, If if a person is hungry or or uh, imprisoned or or downtrodden or or an an outcast of society. yeah, and and you're going to try to pontificate or preach to them. Uh, they don't want to hear it. Uh, you first have to show compassion. You first have to meet their needs where where they are. And uh, you know, coming up in that environment, Terry. You know, there are a lot of people that are a lot of well-to-do Christians. Really, have no comprehension of what of what that side of the world is. Am, am I right? Exactly, yes. and 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 to show, to 
it, I mean, it, it, I hate to say it like this, but you kind of had to have gone through that to know how to show love to that type of person. Like, you can't just walk up to somebody who's selling drugs on a corner and just hug them and say, hey, brother, can I pray for you? That's that's not going to work out, you know. Um you gotta you gotta know how to uh, approach them, how to read their body language, start off uh, a, a meaningless conversation that they can that you can get them into, and then be like, hey man, you know, I, you know, I, I see you that you're you know doing this or that, you know, um, what's going on? And they're like, man, I, shit, my my kid needs shoes, you know, we we can't pay the rent and this and that, and uh, being able to to get involved with them and not only, you know, break out the word of God and start praying, that's just going to turn them off. Mm-hmm. You got to show them an alternate way of getting what they're trying to get. And in, in many cases, that's money. You know, in many cases, that's uh, they're, they're trying to pay bills and they can't think of any other way but to sell their body or to sell drugs or to, or whatever it is that they're doing. Right. <laughs> well, I did 18 And you, you brought up a good point, is that having gone through that life, you you almost, on some level, some people almost have to go through that life to understand what a train wreck it is. Uh, I mean, uh, right. you know, uh, it, listen, full disclosure, at parts of my life I've dealt with addictions of different kinds, alcohol addiction, different different types of addictions, if you haven't gone through that, you can't really understand someone who is going through it. You can't really understand what a trap it is. And and a lot of times and all people want to give of, Yeah. A lot of times what people want to give people is sympathy. Go ahead, Lewis. There are the different kinds of addictions that can take place because um not just drugs and alcohol. Some people are addicted to, for example, video games or um, stamp collecting or card collecting, and they spend thousands on that too. Or 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 sex or money or power or or you know there there is many addictions as there are you know times in a day. I want to read you a quote, Terry. This quote is from Thornton Wilder, and um, when when I first heard this quote. Um, it hit me um, so hard. John, I do I have to log off. I do have to log out. Uh, lunch is getting ready. I'll talk to you later. Is that okay? All right. God bless. God bless you, brother. See you. Let me read you this quote, Terry. Um, when I first heard this quote, it really hit me. It really impacted me because it's it's so true. And it's by Thornton Wilder. And the quote goes like this. Uh, and it impacted me so much that I had it put on a on a plaque, a big, huge plaque, three foot wide, and had to put on my wall. Without your wound, where would your power be? It is your very remorse that makes your love, that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love service, only the wounded soldiers can serve. I mean, that blew mm. me away when I first heard that. It's so true. It's so true. Right, right. You cannot, you and cannot empathize. You can sympathize, but you cannot empathize 
with the lowly and the beaten and the downtrodden unless you, like us, at some point in your life have been lowly and beaten and downtrodden. You know what it's like to be down there, and you can give hope to say to it gives you what what they like to refer to as street cred. Okay, you have that street right, cred because right. you say, "Hey, listen, brother, I was where you are. I'm not speaking to you from some high white pillar somewhere. I was where you are, and I beat it. And if I beat it, so can you. And I beat it by the power of Jesus Christ." That message resonates a lot more than you talking to someone and you have no relation whatever to what they're experiencing or what they're going through, right? Exactly. And and since we're talking about, you know, taking it to the streets, I want to kind of show you another angle here, and that is many times I'm talking to guys and um, – you know, I've, I've built up the, the rapport of trust, and, and I start, you know, sharing with them the faith, and they're like, dude, I got to do what I do because I don't know another way. Like, say I'm out here, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a guy, and, and, you know, he's, you know, doing his nefarious activities to make money, and he's like, look, every day I'm making $200 profit, you know, and, and you know, there's, I can't. I don't know no other skill, you know. Uh, yeah, I want to follow Jesus Christ, but how am I going to take care of my family? And when I got out of prison, I was in this, that same, I had no skills, right? And I was able to see that, man, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the upper echelon of, you know, criminals or drug dealers that that make unimaginable amounts of money. I'm talking about the regular people like, like I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, dude, there's so much more legal ways to make the same kind of money, you know? And so part of my ministry isn't just bringing the faith of Jesus Christ. A part of my ministry just comes with the understanding of society, the understanding of laws, um, you know, how to create your own business, um, how to take a good idea and make it profitable because, I mean, a lot of guys, they, they want, they really want to live a good life. They don't like being where they're at, but they don't know no other way. And, and, and they, and, you know, they, I, I'm sure the, the idea is implanted in their mind by Satan. Like, man, you, you ain't got no other choice. This is all you can do, Right. Yeah, my job here's the, to, the problem with this. My Carrie. job is not only to share the faith of Jesus Christ, but to give them another means, show them another way to take care of their family. You know, Lamb. Right. right, but you first, you first have to see in that person a human <clears throat> being. Uh, right, and, right. And, and that's the problem. They're trying to integrate with a society that looks at them as, oh, you're a criminal, you're an outcast, you're, 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 you're refuse. And Jesus encountered the same thing in the first century. You know, the Pharisees, the, ho- the holy persons of the day, they looked at the downtrodden as, as they were dirt, they were useless. You know, if, if, if you knew what kind of woman this was that's anointing your feet, you, you wouldn't let this woman touch you. Who is this Jesus who eats with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, mm-hmm. This is exactly what you're talking about. 
And the second part, what I really love about what you're talking about is you're not talking about just going and, and, and opening up a Bible and preaching to them. You're talking about real nuts and bolts information that you're giving them about, okay, here's how you do it. Here's how you get on your feet. Here's how you do this legally. Show them how to how to how to start a business. Show them how to turn a profit. Show them how to work and 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 turn an honest uh, a dollar. And like you said, the hunger is out there for them to do it. And through this ministry, through our five hundred one c three status, we're going to be able to raise money in order to be able to do this. We'll be able to apply for grants and raise money and take donations. And we're going to take that money literally right to the street, right to helping these. It's a, you know, the the old story about you walking through a graveyard and you hear a voice, uh, you know, crying out, "Help me, help me!" And it's a person that's at the bottom of that, that fell into one of the bottom of the uh, of a freshly dug grave. I'm so hungry, I'm so hurt, thirsty, and you go out and you get a sandwich and a bottle of water, and you throw it down in the grave, and the next day you come back there and you throw another. A bottle of water and another sandwich you keep repeating this that's not compassion that's not empathy empathy is you stick a ladder down in a hole and you're going to climb down in a hole and help that brother out help him out of the exactly. hole and that's what that's what you're talking about here you're not talking about a handout you're talking about a hand up right 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 and i've i've uh i, I remember an old saying that says never look down on another brother Unless you're helping them up, you know. And uh, uh, Terry, I mean, it, it sounds like what we're talking about here sounds like it's revolutionary, but it's not. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message but, of the and gospel, and you referenced it in Ma- Matthew 25. Matthew 25, uh, Saint Francis of Assisi. Uh, this is this is what he did, you know, uh, way back then, you know, um, and. And it ain't about, like I said, it's not, I'm not preaching to people. I'm trying to establish a relationship between that guy and me and then show him my history. Because, you know, by the way they look at the world, there's no way I should be where I'm at now. And and show them, yeah, yeah, I was able to stay on the straight and narrow, but I, it was only by the power of Jesus Christ, you know, because, I mean, I'm just like you are. You know what I mean? Uh, when somebody rubs me the wrong way, my my first instinct is to, you know, aggressively show my dominance. You know, um, but through the power of Christ, I've been I've been able to stay out almost 14 years. I've been out here and steadily climbing the ladder, brother. You can do it too. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that's it, it ain't just going out with the Bible thumping people over the head, going out and establishing a rapport with these people and showing them, you know, like when they ask, because it, it always comes down to the question, bro, how did you do it? And, man, that's how, <laughs> that's when Jesus kicks the door open, you know, because, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, um, conservative I'm, I'm kind of held a hold back on on being too preachy you know now i tell complete strangers all the time god bless you um i'm at a hotel now and the the maid one of the ladies that cleaned the the 
rooms asked me, hey, do you need anything? And I was like, yeah, actually, if you could pray for me, you know, that'd be great, you know. Um, I, I, I make these type of comments, but when it comes to going out and trying to lead people to the Catholic Church, to Jesus Christ, my, my, I try to build a rapport, share with them my experience, share with them what I've been through, share with them where I'm at now, and and almost always then arises, man, how did you do that? And, bam, that opens it up. And mm-hmm. usually that's because, just one step away from bringing them to church. Because the answer is you didn't. You didn't do it. Exactly. It's, it, when, exactly. When being a Christian, being a, a, a Catholic, is to, to truly live out your faith, you cross that threshold when you get to the point where you realize it ain't about what I can do or what I can't do. Uh, you know, the old expression, I've been to the land of me. I don't want to ever go back there again. <laughs> I've seen what my life looks like when I'm in charge, when I'm running things. But when I right. tap into the power of Christ – and I allow Christ to live through me, and I and 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 I try to act out His will through me, and allow His will to work through me. Uh, mountains can be moved, miracles can happen, and you're a living testament of that. You're a living testament of that, and 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 so that that sounds like that's your message. Um, your message that's is my, yeah, that, it is, that is, it is impossible. Message. I would like to. That is my message in a nutshell, John. I would like to add one other thing because Mm -hmm. I I believe it's in one of the letters of Paul where he says, whatever you do, do so unto Christ. And and I take that literally, like whatever I do, when I'm at work, the, (laughs) the integrity of my work is not so much based on the integrity of Terry, because there's a lot of stuff that I would let slide at work. You know, I'm an inspector. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that I would let slide, but my I do it like Jesus Christ is my boss. He's watching everything I do, and so when I talk to someone on the job site, yeah, they know when when if somebody that knows me is asked, "Hey man, describe Terry," and I want it their first reaction would be, oh, you mean that Catholic guy? You know what I mean? Because yeah. everything I do, I do unto Christ. And, and when, you, when, you, when you really tap into that, that means your, your family, your love life with your, 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 your family, um, your, your work, uh, your play. When I'm out, if I, if I go to a restaurant with a bunch of guys, uh, you know, it, it's it's always awkward at first, but I'd be like, hey, y'all mind if I say grace over this meal? I've never had nobody say no. You know, yeah. everything I do, I want to do unto Christ. And when we, yep. especially when we're talking to people that have no idea in these streets, that have absolutely no idea, it's 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 necessary. It's a necessity that everything I do. Be done under Christ, you know. Yep. Hey Terry, we got a caller. Let me bring the caller on real quick. Uh, area code three four six. You're on the four purses with Terry Delp. How are you doing today? Hey, good afternoon. So Daniel's mom just listening in. Uh, you guys stay blessed. Oh hey 
mama. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good, baby. I'm working, but I'm here listening. I just copied and pasted that and sent it to a few other people. So I just chimed in. So you guys have a wonderful day. Thanks for inviting me, here. All right. Thank you for calling in, sweetie. That's wonderful. Do you have a Do you have a specific question that you'd like Terry to address at this point? No, I don't. But I appreciate you guys. Uh, I kind of started out a little late, so I missed most of it. Um, hopefully, there's a replay number that I can uh, dial it back and catch the rest of it. Um, so I yeah. apologize for that. I'm you can go to You can go to our website, thefourpersons.com, and all of our podcasts are on there. You know, all you got to do is just Click on the link and you can go in there and listen to the replay of the podcast. And we uh, we really thank you for calling in and uh, you have a blessed Easter. Thank you. You guys as well. All right. And I'm going to go ahead and just put you on mute and that way you can uh, still stay on the line uh, if you want to listen to the rest of the program or you can, uh, if you need to disconnect, you can do that too. Well, actually, John, uh, let her, if, if she's got a moment, she can kind of tell you uh, how I worked with her son. Her son was in a, if she wants to share that information, she's she's welcome sure. to do so. I'd love to hear the story. Before I pick up. Yes, I've got a few minutes before I pick up a uh, passenger. I'll I, um, be working. I'd love to share that story real briefly. Terry came into my son's life. He was so troubled and so misguided. This guy here brought some concrete uh, foundation to my son's life for the better. And I appreciate him so much. He stuck by him through his court ordeals. He was a strong pillow in my son's life. I'm so grateful for this guy right here. I shall never forget what he's done for my son. Oh, that is such a wonderful testimony. I want I want to echo that because I, I love the guy too. He's 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 my brother. We've been friends for uh, a couple of years now, and uh, yeah, he's just a. And, and what do you think about what we're trying to put together here about, you know, the, our, our, our message of taking it to the streets is to, is to repeat what happened with your son over and over and over again, to reach out to people and meet their needs where they are in practical ways. That's what we're trying to do here. What, what, what do you think about what we're trying to put together here? Hey, I commend him. I was just sharing with the passenger the other day that we need more mentors, more people who are in the community, uh, more community centers is what I suggested as well, uh, because those are the pillows that really help shape and form our community, guys like him. We need more of that, and there are companies out there that will help fund what he's trying to do to be able to get around to other uh, communities, not just in the local one, but in, in a, a variety of areas to be able to uh, reach other uh, young men, young women, share your message and your ordeal, your life story, what you've gone through, and, and help uh, guide them from where they are. The grandson right now that needs to hear uh, what, he, what he has to say, that hopefully it will turn his life around, and his nephew. <laughs> Hopefully it'll turn him. Uh, having mm-hmm. somebody as strong as this guy's testimony of his life story, what he's endured, uh, and how he came out on the other side, that says you can as well. I learned this, this, and this, and it taught me this, this, and this. And here is a direction that you can go. We often revert back to the old and the norm when we don't have uh, a new foundation to look forward to, a new uh uh, 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 outlook to to venture into 
Um, I tell my grandson all the time, the norm is easy to go back to because it's familiar. You've done it. But it takes faith and it takes uh, strength and courage to step out in the unknown. And I commend this dude. Seriously, I do. I'm thankful for him. So that's all I have to say right now. <laughs> no, amen. I Thank echo, you so much. I echo everything that you're saying there. It's, and, and, and that is... I mean that's that's the walk of faith right there. You just summed it up. You, you can't settle back in that comfort zone. You've got to go out into the world, and 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 you know uh, it's one of the best quotes that I've ever heard. It's attributed to Saint Francis. We don't know if he actually said it or not, but it's uh, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. So we we preach yeah. it with our actions yeah. first, and then the words will follow after that, right? That's right, and uh, you know, there's you know, my 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 style is is a little unorthodox uh, because I reach the people on the level where they're at, you know, um, and and I do my best, like I said, like, well, like you said, I do my best to help them up and help them stand on their own two feet, you know, um, and my my message is always that uh, I could have never done this by myself. You know, I could have never done this by myself. It's only through the power, the miraculous power of Jesus Christ that I'm not dead on death row or still in a cell somewhere, you know. Um, and and that's that's what I try to do. And, and, and I'm sure over the, the months uh, there's going to be a lot of callers that will call in and, and give their testimony of what this ministry has done for them. Nothing to do with me. It's all about Jesus Christ. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, it's just, like I said, doing everything you can to to help those uh, that, are on the, that are on the ground, help them get up, you know. Amen. Well, tonight is, uh, are you going to the Easter Vigil tonight? That's what I'm going to, I'm going to try to go to the Vigil so, Mass tonight. I'm in Georgia, and uh, I gotta. Yeah, I, I told this, I told that other brother to use Google, and so I'm gonna have to do the same thing to find the uh, the spots around here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I went to uh, St. George Catholic Church last week, and it was a nice church. So I'm gonna see if they got a what time their Easter vigil is. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm probably gonna do that. Yeah, what you want to do is you want to put in masstimes.org. Excuse me, Terry, I'm in Georgia. You know, I live here now. So where in Georgia are you? Oh, I'm out here working. Uh, We live in Ohio now. We bought uh, bought a house up in Ohio. Um, But But I heard you say you were in Georgia right now. Yeah, I'm working. I work. Our two primary con, uh, uh, clients are the Air Force and CSX Railroad. So I travel That's all awesome. over the United States. Yeah. That's awesome. What city in Georgia are you in? That's what I'm hitting at. Uh, Fairborn, Georgia, uh, about 25 minutes from Atlanta. Really? Yes, ma'am. Well, unfortunately, I'm about two and a half hours from Atlanta. So Fairborn is probably on the other side, which would be a little, south, a little south, further. We're south of Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. I'm in a well, uh, let me know. 
let me know where you're at, uh, and after the call, you know, maybe uh, sometime uh, I could take you out for dinner or something. I'm in Augusta. I'm two and a half hours down the road. Okay. Could, I could, yeah, I'll figure I could come closer and, and meet. Uh, I got your number. We'll chop it up afterwards, okay? Y'all can go ahead and mute okay. me. Okay. All right. All All right. God bless. And, uh, Terry, why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, if you leave us with a closing prayer, and uh, then we'll be back uh, next weekend. We're going to do this uh, uh, as a weekly thing. We'll be back next weekend with uh, episode two of Taking to the Streets. Leave us with a closing prayer, if you would, Terry. Okay, and I'm going to uh, – you're going to notice that I use the Fatima prayer all the time. And, and the reason why, because to me, like, this is the prayer that that comes from my heart, even though it wasn't written by me, uh, because I want – all souls to be led to heaven, you know. Um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, oh, my Jesus, forgive us of our sins. Save us from the fires of hell and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. And thank you, Terry, for coming on. And I look forward to talking to you again in a week. All right, brother. God bless. God, God bless and happy Easter. Happy Easter. Bye-bye.